staying healthy and active in the second half of life is all about slowing the aging process. And in today's episode, I interview a world-class doctor and researcher specializing in precision health and aging who believes we can extend healthy lifespan decades beyond what is currently considered normal. We discuss why seemingly healthy people start to decline in their 30s and 40s, the surprising key pillars for maintaining strength and vitality at any age, how to truly optimize rather than just reach normal health markers, and cutting-edge science that can actively reverse our biological age. Whether you're 50 and wanting to avoid disease, 70 and looking to turn back the clock, or in your 40s and hoping to set yourself up for lifelong health, you won't want to miss this fascinating conversation on beating aging at its own game. Hello and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Dr. Florence Comite is here, and she's going to help us rewind our biological clocks and look and feel younger. If you're someone who is interested in optimizing your health as you age, you won't want to miss this episode. My guest today is Dr. Florence Comite. Dr. Comite is a pioneer in the emerging field of precision health and aging. As founder of the Comité Center for Precision Medicine and Health, she's world-renowned for predicting and preventing chronic disease by actively reversing biological age. After decades of research at Yale and the NIH, Dr. Comité rejected the idea that declining health is inevitable. She understands that aging itself primes us for illness, so why not stop or slow it down? Through analyzing her clients' unique biomarkers and lifestyles, she provides guidance to regain youthful vitality into our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. On today's show, she'll blow open what's possible in longevity science and how we can all live longer, more vibrant lives. I started our interview today by asking Dr. Kamate how she got interested in the subject of longevity and precision medicine. Okay, that's a great question. And let me take one step back. Sure. Let me define precision. To me, it started with the fact that I believe in data. I'm a clinical scientist trained at the National Institutes of Health. I've always done clinical research in people with some lab research, but most of what I've done, Kevin, has to do with studying children, then women, then men. And that's where I stopped. I didn't go into geriatrics. And I'm heavily trained in endocrinology of every, every kind from pediatric growth and development, puberty, to adolescence, to the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, into menopause in women and andropause in men. So I would say that starts around the 40s because life begins to change in the 30s. And that's what I noticed when I started looking at people's data in some of the work I was doing, both clinically and research-wise, I recognized that there were evidence of emerging disease even before somebody even realized it. They were in their 30s or 40s or 50s and they didn't feel great, but they attributed it to life was changing. They couldn't get into the gym. But even those athletes who could were not doing well. And they didn't know why because they thought they were doing it perfectly. Or the women who enter perimenopause and menopause around 50, they would be in great shape, 
but they would be putting on a little bit of weight around the middle and they didn't know why, you know, like why I'm doing everything right that I used to do. And so I began to realize and gave a journal club of the three departments I was at at Yale, adult endocrinology, like this diabetes, thyroid, cholesterol, bone turnover, pediatric endocrinology, and also gynecology in women and andrology in men, where we met together and you're supposed to pick a topic of interest. And I said, look, why does our body fall apart at 35? Like, why does everything begin to go downhill? Men can get heart attacks at the, you know, in that era. Women about 10 years later, osteoporosis happens in women about 10 years before men, but eventually the sexes catch up. And I realized that the hormonal environment milieu and the metabolic environment was changing, but it was at a deeper cellular level. So that turned me into somebody who wanted to actually look at the data to be able to make sense of your future health trajectory while looking at a person in the here and now and saying, let me know your health story so I can help make sense of the path you're on and stop aging and stop disease. Because at that point, I thought that aging itself is a risk factor for every disease. Because And if you could keep someone in their 20s, which is usually when we're at our healthiest in general, then you would prevent chronic disease. So okay. that's where it began. There's yeah. a few other epiphanies, but I can take too long to do that, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I've got the time if you've got the time. This is right up my alley. Uh, I love that. And I'm very interested in that observation that things start to fall apart at some point. I think you threw out age 35-ish, right? So everybody listening to this is is beyond that. And I think that everybody can, I think we all can relate to that feeling of when I was younger, I used to fill in the blank, right? I could just drop right. pounds quickly. I could add muscle. I could, I could go all day. I, I wasn't tired, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that, well, I guess I want to say, why is that? Do you think it has more to do with lifestyle changes as we're in that phase of life? Or do you think it's because you had went right back into, hey, I'm, I'm more interested. I was noticing things in the hormonal profile and I was noticing things in the metabolism. Are these biological changes primarily driving this or are they lifestyle factors? Biological changes are happening genetically. Genetically, we're wired to, even if we live life, a long life, not necessarily healthy. Regardless of environment sometimes, but environment plays a big role, habits and lifestyle. But what's really beginning to happen in the 30s where it came together is that Hormones change and we can't, we can't manufacture the same muscle we used to. And muscle helps prevent disease. So as we age, sarcopenia becomes an issue where that's lost too thin, too little muscle. It's like osteopenia, too little bone. And as a result, we can't protect our own system. And it's happening at the cellular level. So when we lose the ability to really put on muscle, and that does involve habits and the way you eat, do you get enough protein? The way you work out, are you doing resistance training? And even though I said that it's the 30s and it's variable because every one of us is unique, it's never too late. So having said that, while the thrust of what we do starts in the 30s to 60s, we see kids as young as 10 and I see people into their 90s. So it's never too late. It's just a matter of what did you put into your life and into your, you know, the way you live life with respect to sleep, working out, restorative practices like meditation, food, and how that's going to play out. And what do we do to 
change that and tweak it and modify it so we stop disease in its tracks, we actually reverse it, and you get younger biologically, younger instead of older. So you may age chronologically, but your rate of aging biologically is not one-to-one. Ideally, it's 0.7 or 0.5. And so for every year that passes, you're only a half a year biologically older. You're actually getting younger all the time. All right. Well, that's got to be great news, right? (laughs) I think all of us listening, we want that. So what? talk to us, the the listener that's listening right now, or talk to me. I took crappy care of myself for a large part of the middle of my life. In my 40s, I I kind of fell apart, had this, this health event, this health scare, and that's what sent me on this journey to where I am today. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this, who's in their 50s, who hasn't taken great care of themselves and has not done these things and is probably feeling the effects of that, but is interested in making this change? When you say that it's not too late, is are you saying that it's not too late at this biological hormonal level to make changes to A, like arrest chronic disease, but B, better yet, to actually reverse it? Is, is that the message that I'm hearing here? Yeah. Yes. So- I'm not, I don't know enough about what catastrophic events kind of changed your path, but as long as there are certain fundamental aspects of how you lived life as a child and young adult, that will come back. It's like the whole concept of muscle memory, but the changes that are going on are inevitable. Even if you took perfect care of yourself, a third of our clients at the center are athletes. They compete, like not professionally, although we have some. It, they are doing everything that they used to do right, but hormonal changes and metabolic changes below the surface make it impossible to stay on top of your gain. You don't put on muscle and you don't increase your testosterone without adequate hormonal levels. Optimal is even better. And by doing that, you're reversing the risk of aging. So aging itself is a huge risk factor for disease. So we do reverse. We have data to show that we reverse diabetes, heart disease. We can take each person as they come in. In fact, I just spoke to somebody who was referred at the age of 45 and has a very particularly challenging family history where everybody is diabetic with heart attacks and stroke. Now they live until their 70s, even 80s, but not in good health. And so they want to reclaim health so that they can enjoy life to the fullest. And they don't want to go down their path And they already know they have calcium deposits in their heart because they've done a study called a CT calcium scan. They know that they're pre-diabetic because they have some of the data, but they don't know what to do about it. And that's where we come in because that data and interventions are what can change the course of your future health trajectory, be, be it at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. Of course, the earlier you start, the more likely, but I've seen lots of folks at 70 uh, in much better shape than people half their age. Yeah. So it's a, co- it's a lot of variables, how you live life, what I think of as your health portfolio, what, do you take any supplements, do you, how do you sleep? Those variables are critically important to judge and connect those dots. Okay, I'm tracking 100% with you. What I'd like to do is maybe go through some of those variables and kind of talk about them and their role in in healthy aging, specifically with this idea of reversing our biological age, right? And to have this this youthful vitality that we're all sort of chasing in this age bracket. 
And I'll start with one of my favorites. You, you brought it up and then you mentioned the health properties of muscle. Let's start with exercise. What is our prescription for healthy aging when it comes to movement? First of all, just move. I mean, so many of us don't move. Yeah. Uh, moving is really important. It uses, you know, all our muscles and tendons and bones, and we need to reinforce it. In fact, when somebody's at bed rest or unwell, we actually uh, drag calcium out of our bones and we get weaker and weaker. So it becomes harder. And it's one of the reasons when people aren't well, we try to get them better as quickly as possible and get moving. So the other piece of it, and sometimes I drill down to this one concept for folks, that aging brings sarcopenia or thinning muscles, weak muscles. And if you look at conditions like cancer or AIDS, what happens there is it's very hard to sustain muscle and folks become what we call cachectic. It's hard to put away real nutrition it's hard to maintain. And that's independent even of hormones and metabolism, which dynamically is, is changing not in a good way as we age, right? So sarcopenia is what allows disease to invade from the outside in. Like during COVID, if people didn't, had disease below the surface like diabetes or heart disease, they were four to eight times more likely to die. Whereas if you protected your health and you worked out and you tried to eat right, you were at least in part protected. So sarcopenia, you want to avoid. And the only way you can avoid that is not with a one-size-fits-all prescription. Now, I know there are a lot of folks out there who speak about their own experience. And while they might stay, give a disclaimer and say, you, you may not, you're somebody who might not want to fast or do keto, check with your doctor. What's really true is that everyone is unique. And by putting together a process, once you know the dynamics of a person, you can actually course correct where they go for the future. So an example might be, we have somebody on, I know, I'm sure you know, VO2 max and exercise metabolic equivalents. So almost everybody we take care of, I would say 95 or more percent, improve their VO2 max over time. And by improving your VO2 max, which is you're running on a treadmill, you're collecting the air so you know how your body is functioning aerobically and anaerobically. And by doing so, and we're changing it, they can improve their ability to, to function, their cardiac and pulmonary function. But without sufficient resistant exercise and without sufficient protein in the diet and without adequate testosterone, which is the top three things that are required for men and women, you're not going to get as far as you would like. But you can see somebody who's been an athlete running, really has a phenomenal VO2. I'm thinking of one uh, client in particular in his 40s uh, with a family history that suggests early heart disease in his three paternal uncles. He even has a doctor in the family. His mother is a doctor too. And he had one of the highest, he has one of the highest VO2s. It's about 68, which is almost unheard of in a, someone who's almost 50. He was only beat by a 23-year-old who already had ridden cross-country on a bike, you know, in X number of days and did great. But he had not enough muscle and he was sarcopenic and osteopenic. So by correcting the way he worked out and by adding resistance, not just running, cutting back on the running and adding two or three resistance and a half an hour to an hour in the right fashion, he's totally changed around his health and the strength and reduces 
his diabetes. We reduced, we reversed his low testosterone and he's in phenomenal shape right now and going from strength to strength. So it's important to look at the entire human system, not just pick just sleep or just supplements or just exercise, but rather how do you put it all together? Oh, I, I love that. Okay. Now we're warming up here. I really like all of this. All right. So I love that you mentioned that when we're talking specifically about movement, we should all move, period. We should move more, most of us. But you had this sort of trifecta. It was strength training, protein, and, and testosterone, right? Being really ease. Right. For men this, and women, by the for way. For men not and just women. Men. That's right. That's right. exactly right. Different levels, but still the same criticality. And is there a distinction between then the... I guess the longevity properties or the overall health properties between, say, that slow twitch muscle fiber, that type one muscle and type two muscle. Cause as we bring in resistance training, strength training, it seems to me that we're more moving into this, this fast twitch arena. Is there more? Is there something specific about the strength training routine as opposed to, say, somebody who's just constantly doing endurance cardio, which is probably eroding their testosterone? And, and is not is probably paring down any of that type two muscle. In other words, is there something about strength training in the muscle fiber type that is protective of our health as we age, or do you think it's something else? I and maybe it's more superficial than that. What I believe is that building muscle is very hard to do when you just do endurance and right. you're burning the muscle, you're right. burning the fat. Well, yes. catabolic, but you're, anabolic, right? Ex that, exactly, but, yeah. and you need the muscle. I'll give you one example, like sugar. Why do we see more diabetes in people who are aging? Because muscle is declining and muscle is important to husband sugar and release it when you need it. It's also a way to burn energy even when you're sleeping. It might burn at a lower rate, but you're burning energy. And you can't do that if you're purely aerobic. You actually need the power. So the other piece of it that I didn't allude to yet is hit is high intensity interval training to make sure that when you need that surge of power, because that's what really happens with heart attacks. Heart attacks typically happen very early in the morning when your heart is, you're waking up, your cortisol is, you know, gearing up, which is the stressor hormone that's natural when you wake up. And if you don't have the ability to respond to a stress immediately, you're not going to do well if you have an obstruction in one of your vessels. So it's the sheer presence of muscle that allows you to manage metabolically in a way. And the other piece of it is that muscle related to sugar is the fact that we all have changes in our sugar dynamics as we age. It's a fact of life because it's survival. It's Darwinian. So I don't think of diabetes as this evil, evil thing because to me, diabetes is the reason most of us survived whatever our ancestors lived through. Because if they lived through famine or they lived through the Holocaust and they didn't have enough food, they didn't survive. Their genes died with them. But if you could live off your own body, even going back to caveman times, you were going to be able to survive the famine of winter where you just got a little bit to keep going. And in this day and age, the plentiful food, the McDonald's around every corner means that food is easily available. It may not be the best food, but you're putting on food, you're putting on visceral fat, you're putting fat in your liver, and all that points to disease for the future. Gotcha. Okay. So, 
our prescription then, if we if we were to build one out for movement, then for longevity, would be let's just say if if we walk ten the gold standard ten thousand steps a day, if we did maybe a some sort of a hit and hit for those that don't know that's high intensity interval training, some sort of explosive intense but short movement, and then maybe three days a week of of strength training, some traditional strength training. I, I think that sounds certainly reasonable. I, I kind of want to go back and talk a little bit. Now, when you say, when we, we build this muscle, that's the more muscle we have, the more that's a glucose sink, right? And our, we have better insulin regulation with more muscle. And you mentioned that our sugar sensitivity, I'm not sure I'm using the right word with sensitivity, but it may change over time as we age. And just to be clear, when you say sugar, you're just talking about this glucose. So I can lump into that perhaps all of the processed foods that are these very simple carbohydrates. Is that fair? When I eat bread, for example, kind of eating sugar, aren't I? You are, but let me break that down a little bit more because I love bread and I want to explain. (laughs) I love bread too. So bring it. Yeah, come on. So let me explain because I did oversimplify in a little bit. First of all, Running does not use up testosterone. Living uses up testosterone. Our bodies are primed to lose testosterone as we hit our 30s, 1% to 3% a year in women and men. And we women only have 5 to 10% of what optimal is for men. So free testosterone in men should be 180 to 250. In women, 6 to 30. So that's a significant difference, but we make good use of it. But it's part of the reason we women tend to put on weight around our trunk even women, not me, who are in great shape and they hit 40 and they're like, where does these two, three, four, five pounds come from? So testosterone itself helps sustain that muscle. It also has an impact on energy, not just sexual function. A lot of people say to me, is it the fact that my libido isn't as strong, I can't get an erection or I can't maintain it? It's actually energy that goes away. And that's the biggest complaint people have. But when you repair that and you optimize testosterone, to that of a healthy, physiologically healthy 20-something, you are protecting your health and you are able to manage metabolically the foods you eat, the workouts you do, the sleep you get, hopefully. So let me now turn to the food. Food is critical too. Without the building blocks of protein, you're not going to make muscle. So that's why those three legs are so critical. Sustaining testosterone, eating enough protein, and we generally say one gram per kilogram, which is 2.2 pounds. So one gram per kilogram per per day. If you're really working out and taking it seriously and knowing your clients are likely, your prescription of three times a week of resistance training, or even two times, or even once if you haven't done it at all, start really slowly. Like if someone hates the gym and won't go there, I basically talk to them about finding a sport they like or hitting the gym if that's the easiest because they live in the cold climate. For five minutes, walk on a treadmill or go try the rower or take a couple of weights and you know try to get a trainer because I believe that that sets you up for the right form and using your body well. And particularly in your category, people of clients, they need to be careful because above all, you don't want to get hurt. And so form is form is the most important aspect of doing the right kind of exercise and resistance training and even aerobic. And then hit is so easy to add into anything you do. Like you can row and then you could speed up or you can even walk mm-hmm. and then hit the a block for, you know, for 20 seconds to start. And then maybe it goes to a minute where you're doubling the rate. And then 
the, the, the way we tell people to do it in a practical way is if you can't talk and do what you're doing, that's, that's it. You know, yeah. you, you want to be able to. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And we use that breathing example here. I think the classic is, hey, you're in that zone two. If you can have a conversation while you're doing it, right? And not talk like this, right? Then you're, you're, above, right? you're more into that, I guess, that hit, mm -hmm. that hit zone that you're talking about. All right. So I, I want to go back to protein because that's where I wanted to go next, right? We've got this, we, we understand the importance of movement. So I wanted to talk about nutrition. I love that you led with protein because it's part of this three-legged stool you have with the strength training, the protein, and the, and the testosterone. Put a pin in the testosterone because I definitely want to come back and pick that apart a little bit. But you mentioned, you mentioned the primacy of protein. And I think we probably understand that we need the protein because it's going to, we're going to convert that to amino acids. That's going to be the building blocks of muscle. But are there, are there other things specific about protein that make it a, let's just say a longevity macro? And the reason I'm asking this is a lot of us in our age group, right? We grew up kind of with this cholesterol is bad, meat is bad. Now there's this big push that, you know, don't, for God's sakes, don't eat a cow because, well, there's a, you're just a bad human if you do. What is it about protein and, and, Besides just the very obvious, I need it to build muscle that is healthy for me. So that's a great question. And it feels like a leading question. I feel like someone must have told you that was a good question to ask. For I, me. No, I didn't know. If I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> stepping on a landmine or if we're no, on the same page no, here. No, no, no. It's, it's absolutely perfect. We're right exactly on. on the same page. Okay. So first of all, protein has an impact on metabolism in a positive way. Now, with some exception, like if you have bad kidneys, you have to be careful with the protein. You can't overload your kidneys because your kidneys are the clearing organs for tox toxins and proteins can hurt people too much. The other clearing organ is that handles, you know, waste, if you will, is the liver besides making cholesterol and CoQ10 and others. So that aside, protein allows your body to release insulin in a favorable way. It, and I'll start with what's bad about sugar per se. And it's really, it's really pure, simple, simple sugars or processed sugars. And it could even be fruits because the sugar challenge is really a challenge. It doesn't mean sugar is bad. It means when you have sugar, your body is trying to take care of it. And if you have a pure sugar meal, your insulin is going to be delayed. It's going to, your sugar will pop up. Like you have a piece of bread. That's just a pure, you know, piece of bread, even if it's a great piece of bread from the bakery. So now if it has some seeds on it, like pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds or nuts, you're way ahead because you're going to be having protein. So a meal like a banana and a bran muffin causes your sugar to go sky high because it's a pure carbs. It sounds healthy, right? I know when I ask people what they eat, a lot of times they'll say, well, my healthy meal is a bran muffin and, and a banana. And the unhealthy days, I have a couple of eggs and some bacon, and right. you know how it is. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you got that backwards. Yeah. Your eggs and bacon in moder moderation, because uh, we believe in moderation, not deprivation, is actually what's healthy. Because by eating complex, eating protein, fat, and fiber before a sugar, so you can have that piece of bread, but first bite into the eggs and have some um, bacon, because the bread will then modify, be modified by the protein that hits your body first, it will slowly rise. Insulin follows it in a very nice way. So they're almost gradually rising like a gradual mountain and then coming down together. 
The good, the other good news is that it lasts a longer time in your body. So your body feels fuller and you feel better. Whereas what happens with just a pure carb meal like bran muffin and banana is that your sugar goes sky high because it's pure sugar. Nothing modifies its absorption as well as protein. And then after it goes sky high, it shoots your insulin up. Your sugar then falls, but your insulin stays up. So you start feeling jittery and hungry early in the course of life where you're beginning to lose muscle. You're in your 30s. This could happen even younger. And as a result, you develop insulin resistance ultimately because you're overshooting that insulin. You get jittery and hungry. So you've had your healthy breakfast of a bran muffin, so-called healthy breakfast of a bran muffin and banana. Your insulin comes next. And if that's at eight o'clock breakfast, at 10 o'clock, you're reaching for a donut and cup of coffee to keep yourself going because you feel weak and jittery. You don't know what's going on. So protein protects our metabolism to even things out and more slowly digest carbohydrates and all the food. And, and then it gives us the building blocks for muscle. And if you have the muscle on board, the sugar gets packed away and released when you need it. So it's a whole system we have. And by working the system the way that magnifies optimism, that's the route we tend to tra- take to make it practical. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I love that saying that the the protein protects the metabolism. We know that protein is the most satiating of the macronutrients, meaning when you eat that, you feel fuller longer, help you to keep you from overeating. And I want to kind of circle back to the to the carbs also, because it seems like there's certainly when we eat the, the protein before or with the carbs, there's this insulin modulating effect, right? We don't have that crazy spike and crash that you talked about. But it also seems like when we look at the prescription for carbs, carbs are, I mean, let's face it, they're these simple sugars are broken down into glucose, and that's your body's most readily available fuel, I believe. And if we're moving a lot, so going back to the our prescription of walking and hit and 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 doing resistance training, we probably have a higher tolerance for carbs as opposed to somebody who's not doing these things and is leading a very sedentary life. Is is that fair? Not completely, because each of us is a unique human. And as a result, we digest, we move. All of the patterns we develop might be different for you than it is for the people you monitor, because I'm sure you've seen that. If you did the exact same thing with 10, and this is where it started for me, with let's say 10 people you're training, maybe at the end of one year, three or four of them have done extraordinarily well. They have a four pack or a six pack and they feel great. Three or four of them haven't responded at all. And maybe they're doing something somewhat different because they need that. But if you're doing the exact same thing with all of them, the exact same approach, they're not necessarily all going to respond. And maybe two or three of them, you know, do a little bit worse, a little bit better, but you can't predict it. So what's really important is understanding how your body responds to sugars because sugars can vary. And so a banana and an apple can cause sugar to go up higher than ice cream, which has a little bit of protein, by the way. And if you wear, have you heard of the continuous glucose monitors? The CCMs, yeah, definitely. There's CGMs, all the rage so, right now, yeah, or CGMs, right. yeah. Well, we've been using it from the beginning because I'm trained in endocrinology of all sizes and shapes from pediatrics to adult men and women, menopause and andropause in men. When the systems, you know, the ovaries and the testes begin to slow down, and so I got into that right away because I thought it was a miracle that people could see 
what was going on in their body at the time they did it. And that action would teach them whether they should go lightly when there's a buffet and it's a whole bunch of fruit and, and stick with low, you know, glycemic vegetables. Cause even vegetables have sugar. Like I don't want people to stay away from delicious fruits for me, like pineapple and mango or even vegetables like root vegetables, like turnip, white potatoes. Those will all cause your sugar to go up or carrots, which are incredibly sweet to me. But if you're able to balance it and look at the way, the order of the food you're eating, and then also see the outcome when you wear a CGM, you can actually see the path you're on and you can make adjustments in your own life organically. And so the way we, we help people, particularly people where rice is a mainstay of their diet, we see a lot of Asians and Mexicans where tortillas and rice are a staple. Believe it or not, with some ethnicities, that very staple is the worst food for them. Their sugar goes sky high. And what's fascinating to me is why? Why will we pick to do that? And that's where I came, not to just measure sugar and sugar changes with the CGM and come to the conclusion that every single one of us is on a path to get what I now think of as not diabetes per se, but a disorder of carbohydrate metabolism with aging. And it conspires within us as testosterone falls, we get weaker, we don't have enough muscle, and we don't eat right in this day and age because we're not forced to hunt for our food and put it on our body and then, and then live off our body in lean times. And so we stay fairly stable. And that leads to chronic disease. And so the group of people you're seeing in America, according to the CDC, one at, uh, six out of 10 Americans will have at least one chronic disease and four will have two. And our, you know, our GNP for healthcare, which is why Amazon's in it and CVS is in it, is $4 trillion only to get worse because of the graying Americans. And if we could change the way people think about how they put these pieces together as a puzzle, I think of a human being as bits and bytes. And by learning their bits and bites, how they live life, what runs in their family, do they get enough sleep on a very important variable in managing your food, your exercise, and your health, probably the most important variable is sleep in my, my world. And everyone needs different amounts, but I, I like to target at least six to eight. I do think you can make up sleep when you don't get enough, but you have to know why. And so by doing that, you actually can protect your health with age. Protect your health with age. Absolutely love that. I, I love the idea that we have this technology now, the, the continuous glucose monitors, for example. And I've heard weird things like people will put this on and a food that you would never expect to be, you know, to your point, we're all these bio-individuals. They get this feedback and they can see in real time, well, that's really weird. Every time I have avocado, my I spike like crazy, but when I, you know, to your point, have a bowl of fruity pebbles, it's just normal spike. You know, what's what the heck is going on here? And I guess that's getting down into that very individual precision medicine kind of realm there, right? Exactly. So precision to me, like I used to duke it out with people about personalized medicine because everybody was saying that mm -hmm. and precision. And as a physician, to me and to my colleagues, Per personal is the only way you can be if you take care of a human being. What's more personal than a human being who trusts you to help them with their health? Now, it's true most of the time you see people when they're sick because they don't understand that diabetes, heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, cancer, osteoporosis, 
happens over decades. It's not overnight. And so that is what we're looking to stop, that pro being proactive, not just prevention. Prevention to me is stop smoking. You just had a heart attack. To me, it's don't even start smoking. And that's just an obvious. Keep moving, you know, be able to do the right thing so that you don't go the path. Your, your genes don't have to be your destiny because it's expression of genes. Yes, if everybody in your family has diabetes, and I just spoke to a guy I think I mentioned a few minutes ago, who maybe I didn't mention the numbers, his mother, his father, they're 14 brothers and sisters. So one has eight, one has six. Every single one of them had heart attacks, stroke, and diabetes. And so if you look at it that way, it's like inevitable, right? But it doesn't have to be. By inserting these changes and measuring certain critical biomarkers, this gentleman can own his own future because he already has signs of calcium deposits in his heart. He told me that. And he's only 45. And his 42-year-old brother has even more. And if you look at it that way, you're like hopeless. But you don't have to be your mother, father, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. And ethnicity plays a role too. And so does the type of ethnicity. Like if something runs in your family and it seems like everyone has cancer, well, pay attention because those are genes expressing themselves. And in order to look at that, by the way, insulin is an inflammatory marker that's related to cancer. So we're very complex humans here. And figuring out for me has been my life, my lifetime work as a scientist. But I've seen the data, my own data, shows that there's a 98% correlation between inserting these interventions once we have these insights and we connect the dots in your entire system and we start you on a path of choices, how you sleep, how you eat, and work with that individual to, which you have to do all the time as well, to regain their health and maintain it for life. So even if you live till 120 or 140, you live life to the fullest. That's my goal. I, I don't want to live a long life if I can't live it in good health and enjoy Amen. life. Amen. Absolutely yeah. love it. And I, I love the way, I think what you're talking about there is the genetics versus epigenetics, right? And there's this incredibly disempowering feeling of, well, everybody in my family has it. And so there's this inevitability that I will have it. But what I hear you saying is, okay, you may, you may have the genetic predisposition for this thing, this negative health outcome, but really whether that gene expresses or not is mostly up to you. You threw out the number 98%. So there is hope and that is very empowering that we have this, we have the tools and the tools we're talking about aren't crazy, obscure, arcane secrets. They're these very healthy, basic lifestyle things that, I mean, so far that's all we've, that's all we've talked about, right? They are. And that's the place to start. Well, hang on. The issue- I, yeah. Okay, because I don't want to go into because I I do want to pick your brain about where we go after we get these basics checked, but I don't want right. to get there yet because I want to go back. You sorry to interrupt, but you had no, said good. something that I absolutely love. One of the things I always say is I believe that sleep, healthy sleep, is the foundation of over fifty health. If you don't get that right, that's the biggest rock that you can work on in your healthy aging journey. Talk to us a little bit about the importance of sleep. What's happening while we sleep that's so vital for us to be healthy and disease resistant? So I'm not, I'm going to try not to get too scientific and keep it, you know, straight to the point. During sleep, sleep is everything because it allows your body to recover, rest, and restore. So your immune system is actively at work. 
the hormones you need change at night. Even the patterns, like if you travel and get jet lag, it's not so much that it's jet lag and you're not getting sleep. Your body can't turn on and off in the right way and you actually precipitate disease. And a lot of folks know flight attendants, people who are shift workers actually don't do so well because they're not establishing those healthy sleep patterns. And I'm in total agreement with you. But when I started about sleep, I made it number three. I said, exercise, nutrition, sleep. And over the years, I've recognized that sleep is paramount. And if you don't get adequate sleep, you actually die of disease younger. And there is data that shows, scientific evidence-based data, that if people take sleeping pills, they tend to die younger and have more disease. It's not the sleeping pills. It's the fact that you need sleeping pills because your sleep is interrupted. So focusing on sleep, even for a 30-something, not just 50, 60, 70, but why I think you said that is because sleep gets harder to maintain with age because of neuroendocrine changes. So some of the tips we talk about for sleep hygiene is not to eat two hours before bedtime. Allow your body to do work it needs at night. And if you put an extra burden on it by eating, particularly eating like a carb-heavy dessert or meal within two hours. Now, can you have carbs? Of course. Life wouldn't be fun for me if I couldn't do ice cream. And I do dark chocolate. I put it in my shake every day because it helps memory, cognition, and I love chocolate. So there are ways to keep life balanced, and that's what's mostly important. But if you disturb your patterns of sleep, you don't get the recuperation of your immune system. You don't get the right hormones. You may tilt more towards cortisol and less growth hormone, which gets released at night. Growth hormone is one of those hormones that's also important. It goes up with exercise and sleep, not testosterone. Testosterone does not change because of exercise and sleep. It's innately controlled by the brain, by the places in the brain called the hypothalamus and the pituitary which is considered the third eye up here somewhere. But the hypothalamus is really the master gland. And if you can figure out why people aren't sleeping, so there too, we have some insight. If you use something like an aura or a whoops, you can monitor your deep sleep, your REM sleep, your, your light sleep, and you can make changes based on what exactly is going on. A lot of folks get a lot of deep sleep, but they don't get any REM sleep. And that's not as good as getting both. Some folks default to REM sleep, which usually means they wake up tired and they don't feel so good. Some folks like me default to deep sleep. So even when I don't have enough sleep, which I don't like anymore because it ages you and I have testing, we curate for testing to prove these kinds of things. So it, it's, it, I'm energized. I can do what I want. I'm one of those folks that can do a lot, even with less sleep, not happily, but I do it. And so, but when I sleep at least six hours for me, and I love eight or 10 or 12, I feel much better and I'm getting my REM sleep. So it just depends on your individual profile. And we, we drill that in, in a way so that we can give direction and work in concert with the client whether they're home or they're seeing us or it's on a telemed. Yeah, I, I think I see on your your hand <laughs> yes. also the, the aura ring <laughs> right. there. Yeah, I, I love these these biotracking devices. And it turns all of us into uh, us just casual consumers into biohackers, right? I, okay, if right. I do this thing, how does it affect my sleep, right? Exactly. So we can start doing these little experiments there. All right, so it, I think the other point I wanted to bring out with sleep is one of the things I think it's so important for is not just the 
all the physiological magic that's happening while we sleep. And there's a lot of that. But we tend to, from a just a lifestyle perspective, we tend to make crappy decisions when we get crappy sleep, right? We don't eat the same. Our ghrelin and leptin, our hunger and satiety hormones are off when we don't sleep. We tend to, we're more likely to skip workouts. We're more likely to be stressed, which is where I want to go next. So we talked about exercise. We talked about nutrition. We talked about sleep. What's the role of stress and chronic illness and just poor health as we age? Yeah, well, obviously it's difficult to avoid stress if you're not healthy and you don't feel well. I know I, one of the drivers for me is I don't like not being well. And so I want to go out of my way to feel good because then you get more out of life. And you're very right about the changes in hormones, the ghrelin and leptin, because when you don't sleep enough, you actually crave sweets and you overeat. And it's a way of sustaining your body probably, and that's not so healthy. So you want to avoid that. As far as stress goes, it's hard to control. There are folks that feel very, very stressed, but if you look at their cortisol, even their patterns, like four times a day looking at saliva, their cortisol looks fine. They somehow control it. And there are other people who don't feel stressed and their cortisols are off the chart. So we like to look at cortisols of about 6 to 12 in the morning. We don't actually want it low either. When it's very low, there's a fear of chronic fatigue. And that's actually more dangerous where you hit a wall and you might not recover for two years. But when it's high, I have a, an interesting story of a guy who was in his 30s, one of my clients who lived in Manhattan, which can be a very stressful place to live. There's a lot of noise. You don't have a lot of privacy. And then he moved to New Hampshire and his, his baseline cortisol in the morning, where it does go up and we tend to measure it fasting in the morning, went from 35, which is three times what you want it to be, to like eight. And that was after like a month in New Hampshire, quiet, calm. So you need to look for ways to be Zen-like, whether Pilates or yoga is your thing, or maybe it's taking a long walk in, in Central Park in New York or out, you know, on the road if you live out, you know, somewhere where it's, you can walk on the road. But you need to find ways to reduce that cortisol because cortisol, which is the fight and flight hormone, comes into play no matter what. Like you see a bus coming down the street and you might be you're stepping out in the street and you, all of a sudden your cortisol can surge. That kind of surge is not going to hurt, but chronic stress where it's always off and it's off during different times of the day. So you, you can never judge your environment. So getting some controls into your life, some routines, some basic like I'm going to work out pretty much Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then I'm going to do some walking and running on Saturday and Tuesday. And, and then eating meals to the best of your ability or prepping. Let's say you're on Zooms all day. A lot of our clients let their sugar go too low and they're at high risk also. So we say, look, prepare a great trail mix for their all Zoom days where you can't get up and do anything. Make sure it's full of walnuts or other kinds of walnuts is great because of the omegas. Throw in some pistachios or throw in, um, you know, like macadamia nuts, one of my favorite. Walnuts are great because it's great for the heart. It's great for the brain because of the omega-3 amount, as is salmon, as a, as a fish choice. But the other nuts are great. Don't do peanuts necessarily because it's a legume. And while legumes are good, peanuts can be contaminated with fungal. So do them in moderation. But nuts are a great way to keep your body at a kind of safe level and reduce your need. Because when you get hungry, you'll grab anything off. And it's not necessarily healthy. So, right. and I know, because I'm a sweet freak too. 
Yeah. And I, I try to be careful because that's why I start my day like with a shake every day that has, you know, berries in it. Actually, mango to offset the cocovia, which is the chocolate, dark chocolate, and just ice and 30 grams of protein. So that I start my day with like protein and then what I eat afterwards, it could be a piece of bread or half a sandwich. It could be turkey. It could be a salad. Generally, I graze all day. I'm that kind of person. And my sugar stays under control, even though I have insulin resistance, and which I've reversed to a large degree, but that's hard to do. So you need to be a little more invasive with maybe some of the treatments you do. Like that is why Ozempic and Manjaro have gotten so popular because frankly, lifestyle for over, I would say 75, 80% of people, lifestyle won't cut it as you age alone. It just isn't enough. So you need to get that support because it depends on your wiring. And if you want to change the expression of genes, which you mentioned, epigenetics is the most important factor. When I started, I didn't mention, because I've said it a couple of times today, that I'm an identical twin. So I knew about epigenetics before the term even got defined. I knew my identical twin and I were very different. She is a fabulous gardener and I kill plants. And that's not, I'm not joking. And I love sushi and sashimi and she doesn't touch fish with the exception of mackerel, which you think would be awful because it's so intense. But we grew up eating herring and sour cream or wine sauce. So she got adapted to it. She eats lots of vegetables with seeds and the seeds bother me, the texture. So I don't like, I love eggplant, but I have to have the seeds stripped. I have to have European cucumbers or Kirby Cooper. So you look for ways to entertain yourself and that mixture. Like eating cucumbers and celery, which are carbs, actually burns more energy. It takes more energy to digest them because of the fiber than it takes, puts on your body. So there's lots of ways to play the food game and eat healthy, but feel good about what you're eating and still eat things you like in moderation. Right. That's, we preach that all the time here, right? If, if your diet, and for those in podcast land, I'm putting that in, in quotation marks, doesn't allow for whole food groups, for example, or things are off limits, or the, I think the more restrictive or strict anything is, the less likely you are to stick on it, stick with it for the long term anyway. So there it's, you know, its effectiveness is already less, right? Now, I want to kind of finish here. I've really wanted to talk to you about the things that are available to us today that are free. It just takes some willpower, some knowledge. And that's that's the lifestyle things, right? The things, frankly, we talk about on the show all the time. It's the exercise, it's the sleep, it's the nutrition, it's managing your stress, all of these things. Now, you had referred to even somebody like myself. I feel like I have most of that really dialed in. I haven't arrived. It's a journey and I'll be on it for the rest of my life. But there are other things I can do to take this next level or go to this next level. It may be that I can't have perfect health by like you said, through lifestyle interventions alone, what are these things? What are these next things you're talking about? Are we moving into biohacking realm, supplementation, medical things? What's next? So first, let's start with the lifestyle. What I failed to mention about cortisol is one of the best ways to reduce cortisol at the level of gene expression is meditation. So there are studies that show when you truly deeply meditate where they did comparison groups, you actually turn off the gene. And there are ways to turn off genes with other tools. So meditation, though, is fabulous in a lot of ways because it lets you feel you're calm 
and it restores control to what you do. If you can, it's very hard for I don't meditate. I try, I've tried. I do a little bit, but I find that I fall asleep when I meditate. So I have to find another way to do it, possibly because I do it at night, you know, and I'm tired. So, um, so other tools include hormonal, you know, careful risk benefit hormonal optimization. So that means for most people, and it's a protective hormone, testosterone for men and women with HCG for men, which is human chorionic and anatropin, is another route we use. Because once men hit their 30s and 40s, they don't produce the same amount of testosterone they did in their 20s. And that's why you begin to fail. We all begin to let disease emerge at the cellular level. And then with time and life, they get worse and worse because we get weaker and weaker. We get sarcopenic if we're not doing all the rest of it, right? The right, the amount of protein, water, water, we'd even mention drinking a ton of water. Forget about the amounts. Don't track that. Track your urine. If your urine looks clear like water, you've drunk enough water for the day. And that helps clear as toxins. And it actually can make you feel better in a lot of ways when people have GI issues. It really helps because it cleans out a lot of what's going on in the system. We need water for life. And and then besides increasing testosterone, you want to look at what supplements might be helpful to keep your body on target. Some of the things we use are ways to increase nit- nitric oxide. So now you can do it with Cialis and Viagra, but you can also do it with arginine, citrulline, and ornithine. And you could take a combination, and those are simple amino acids. So getting a few biomarkers to see what your real levels of total testosterone and free testosterone, we go by free because total could be bound up with something called sex steroid binding globulin, and it's not free to act. All hormones have to be free to act in your body. That includes thyroid too. So checking thyroid, checking testosterone, checking fasting insulin and glucose and hemoglobin A1c as well as cholesterol risk ratio, which comes out of a regular lipid test, will give you insights into how your body is working regardless of what you're doing. And then you set a path for these next steps. Maybe you need a supplement that's going to lower your bad cholesterol. And maybe you need a different kind of exercise to raise your HDL, which is the good cholesterol. You might need to go deeper and look at particles and look at the number of particles and look at some of the genetic markers. There's a marker called LP little a. Have you heard of it? I have not. That's a marker that you can't find unless you screen for it. And if family has, if a family has a high risk of heart disease and stroke, that marker is likely elevated. And sometimes your cholesterol can look great. So learning your sugar, hacking your own body to the extent you want to. Now, some people don't want to know. They would like your help, but they just want to, you give them, tell them what to do. So they don't really want, they get scared when they look at the numbers. And if you tell them, okay, let's work on the places that you can take control over and we'll give you the guidance you need, which is what we do at the center for that group of folks. Usually they're the ones that are the couch potatoes that kick their head in the sand until something, there's a wake up call, either somebody close to them passes away or they get a bad diagnosis. And there we're careful. They, they may not want to know what's in their future, but they want to feel well. And for those hackers, which I love, they're the early adopters who I've, I've had people come in with 30 years of Excel spreadsheets on every number, which by the way, I love yeah, because it's, it's yeah. in the, it's in the trends yeah. and they're not doing right. well and they don't know why, but we can see it right away. So there's so many ways to cut and dice it. 
and for each person, it's a little different, that sustaining your health and not getting weak, not, you know, you see a lot of men hunched over walkers because they have osteoporosis, which is completely reversible. And you can stop it by using very safe peptides where it will grow bone to the tune of 11% per year. Because we've laid down almost all the bone, the maximum bone we're going to get by the time we're 30. And after that, it's a sustaining game. And as we get older and older and our testosterone falls, well, bone resorbs more than it forms. And so Kali's fractures of the wrist, which when you fall and you use your hands, you can break your wrist if you have that. Hip fractures and shrinking or spine, like if you hear a report, I remember hearing this early on and figuring it out. A lot of the women, when I started Women's Health at Yale and even men would tell, but that happens a little later in life because men have more testosterone. They would start the day with the mirror, the rear view mirror positioned in one way. By the end of the day, when they were going home, they had to adjust it down because they shrank because of gravity. So, and if that happens to a large degree, you're at high risk for osteopenia and osteoporosis. So we're complex, you know, and it's hard to give everyone one answer because one size does not fit all, even my twin and I, as I described. And so learning what's out there for you beyond lifestyle is a journey. And reading and listening to a lot of folks, like I like Huberman. I'm hopefully going to start my own podcast. Maybe you'll come on and I'll interview you next year. Yeah. Because I feel like we have a lot of the data that can help people and we can help them interpret their own data. So by getting blood work and by getting certain biomarkers, you can get the guidance you need. It's like when you assess someone to decide how you're going to help them learn to move and correct their body parts and protect their knees, maybe, and protect their shoulders. So other examples of that is PRP or platelet-rich plasma and stem cells. Those are miraculous. I tore my medial collateral ligament in my uh, medial and my meniscus in 2017 or 16. And I went to see several people because I like to screen people for referrals for my patients. And it was a classical kind of tear where I should have gone to surgery. But I know surgery strips that cartilage. And I know we're growing cartilage now in the lab. So I didn't want to lose my cartilage. So I tried PT. I really didn't get very far. The pain went away, but I didn't get far. And so then I did stem cells and I didn't even have to do PT. So we grew stem cells by taking certain peptides. I don't know if you've heard of peptides like amiparelin and CJC-1295. And we also use BCP-157, which we call prime prime bone protection because it's great as an anti-inflammatory for every part of the body. And I won't come off of it now because Every night I take a combination and I can basically work out any way I want. My thank God, knock wood, my joints feel great. I ski, I rollerblade, I I water ski. I'd love to play tennis, but I haven't had enough time and I'm a little concerned, but it's a great sport for longevity. They've shown that tennis, people who play tennis, they've done these studies in the UK where they went back in the records. People who play tennis have long longevity. So I'm sorry I digress to all these pieces, but I, I know that it's important to understand the whole system, you know? Oh, it is. And it's like you've mentioned several times, it's a vastly complex system. So uh, it turns out we are wonderfully and fearfully made. So 
Actually, before we go any further, are you okay for time? Do we you have another 10 minutes? I have another. Let me just see. Yeah, I can do another stopping. 10. Okay, fantastic. All right. It's hard uh, to turn me off when you turn right, me on. Right, same. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up. No, uh, we'll wind up here in just a minute. Okay. I wanted to go back and just briefly touch on, you had mentioned, we'll use testosterone as uh, as our example. Talk to us a little bit about the difference between the normal range and the optimal range, right? Because when I go to my doctor, he's going to test that and there's the normal range. And as long as I'm one point above it, I'm quote unquote normal. That range is, keeps changing because it's not based on optimal. It's based on apparently populations, which are getting sicker and sicker. So what, what am I looking for as a consumer when I'm going in, I'm having these tests done. We'll just use hormones, for example, but it could be anything. How do I, as a consumer, convey to my healthcare provider that I don't want to be normal, the low end of normal of something? I want to be optimal and have him be my my ally in this in this healthy aging journey. Or do we just well, come you to you said for that? it? You said it well. So, <laughs> right. I think where you want to start is you want to pick the right clinician, right? Because you can't always convince somebody who's trained and sees out of a certain lens. And in conventional medicine, a lot of do- male doctors don't believe the male's age and they don't believe that hormones affect males in any way, which is obviously ludicrous. I think the midlife crisis is one good example of that, you know, either finding a younger woman, a younger woman or buying that Porsche, whatever you do, you know, you're trying to keep it up. And that's the name of my book, yeah. which actually didn't even talk about that. Yeah, editor. right. Yeah. So I wrote it 10 years ago and it is about precision medicine, but it's about healthy longevity. How do you detect and I'm happy to send you a copy if you have if you don't have one. And so basically you're right. So here's the thing. I I don't say normal ever. It's like not an evil word, but it makes no sense. There right. is no such thing. There's no normal. If you look at a a normal curve, which is like a mountain, the peak of the curve is population research where you get average to the mean, regression to the mean, but what do you do about people at the two ends? So I look at optimal Secondly, and I'll get, come back to it. Secondly, I'm not mother nature. So I can't do hormone replacement because I can't recreate what mother nature does so well and what father time strips away from us. So we look for risk benefit. It's the same thing you do when you're teaching people how to move and what to do. You look at their own makeup. If somebody has been a football player versus a soccer player, they have completely different body types. And so you're not going to necessarily do for the soccer player what you do for the football player or the runner, right? We talked a little bit about that. And so from our point of view, there's an optimal range. And what you need to say to your clinician, if they're open about it, you might want to give them my book. And sometimes they'll listen. I've had doctors tell my patients, you're too healthy for me. Go away when you get sick. So sometimes they don't want to know what health is. In fact, did I mention that when I graduated medical school, one of the reasons I started this path is my dad, who was a, a self-quantifier and a geek, he said to me, okay, you now graduated Yale Medical School. Tell me how to stay healthy. And I looked at him confused and I said, no, in medicine, we learn about disease. We don't yeah. learn about health. Right. So that's the change we're looking at now with the graying baby boomers. And so there's no such thing as normal because that population research has been done in sick people. When they give you ranges for, set, you know, for 50 to 75-year-olds or 50 to 60, you're looking at a sick population. The optimal population is in their 20s. So what I would say, and I've had the benefit of looking at people at every decade of life through the, the lens of a clinician scientist because I've done research, 
And so I know what optimal is in a zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20, because every decade is different. And so I, what I do is I create our optimals based on the literature. So for example, hemoglobin A1C, a doctor will leave you alone if your sugar creeps up and your hemoglobin A1C is even 5.6. 5.6 is a tenth of a point away from 5.7 when you become a pre-diabetic. And guaranteed if it's 5.6, you are going to be 5.7 at some point soon, right? So the right way to handle that is to say, listen, can you look at my trends over the years? Like say you, you're lucky enough to have a doctor for a few years. Can you look? And I've done that very often with people who think they have the best medical care in the world. They're, excuse me, just take some water. They see they're trustees of the hospital. So they get assigned the best doctors. And I'll pull out all their data and I'll say, well, do you see that five years ago, your hemoglobin A1C was 5.3 and now it's 5.8? Well, guess what? You've become a pre-diabetic. Or do you see your cholesterol? In women, a lot of times, they have beautiful cholesterol because more women than men have high HDLs, which is very protective. But the minute they lose estrogen and they go into menopause or even perimenopause, their LDL goes up, the bad cholesterol, and their HDL can stay the same. They can have an HDL over 100. And you're lucky as a, as a male in general if your HDL is over 50. That's the good stuff. I won't break it down into particles right now. And they'll be very confused and they'll say to me, I've always been told my cholesterol is amazing. And I like, yeah, that was when you were in your 30s and 20s, when you had estrogen on board and you were cycling. Right now you're not. And as a result, your system is beginning to change. And if you have heart disease in your family or you have stroke or Alzheimer's or cancer, well, it's related. So let's look at ways to stop that. So ask for trends. Have the doctor pull out the older records or save your records. So take your clients, for example, and say to them, try to collect your records. Go back a few years because most states have rules that doctors cannot get rid of records. Like in New York, it's seven years. I think in Connecticut, it's 10. Try to get your blood work because if you have guys coming to you and women, women and men, Tell them that that's a way to say to the doctor, well, why am I getting worse? You know, what should I do about it? And paying attention sooner in life than later and being strong enough to tell your doctor, I'm not satisfied with a low number. I don't want to measure my testosterone three times to have you convince me it's fine. And even tests like thyroid, a lot of times you'll only get a thyroid stimulating hormone. And they won't measure the real thyroid, T3 or T4. And we're a system, so they control each other. And TSH has a very wide range. So it's not just normals aren't real, they're population-based. It's that what we use to measure, possibly because of insurance, because it's you can only get free T4 and free T3 in some systems if your TSH is out of range. Well, 80% of people have a thyroid abnormality as they age. And if your TSH is anywhere between 0.45 or 4.5, allegedly you're fine. But if you look at your thyroid itself and the hormones it's producing, it can be low or high, even when your TSH is at the high end or the low end. There's absolutely no way to make sense of it without those three numbers. So I would say educate yourself. I'm hoping that I'll be doing podcasts to talk about some of this too in more depth if we can and look at numbers. 
but also we're bringing to market not just the bricks and mortar that I now have the centers in New York, Palo Alto, and Miami, but also an app that will allow people to upload their data, take a look at it, and get insights into and interventions virtually at a far less cost than, than the centers. I hope that will help. It's called Grok Health. Very excited about it because I started thinking about it over 20 years ago. I thought of bricks and clicks, and I thought, if I could prove this model, I could bring it to everyone. Maybe not in the full bespoke way, but you have to start with baby steps anyway. You know that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So yeah, from what I heard there, what I'm taking away from that then is just as a consumer, we could A, educate ourselves and all of us should be. If you've listened this far into this podcast, congratulations, you're doing that, right? (laughs) And then be your own healthcare advocate, right? And don't be afraid to take your, to really challenge your provider, your medical provider. I think that's a lot of us, we feel like, well, they've, you know, they're the doctor. They, they obviously know what's best. I don't want to interrupt, but the word challenge scares doctors and scares the patient. So the way to do it is, yes, be your advocate, bring in some proof of it. Say, this is what I've looked like before. Why am I getting worse? No, I don't want my knees to hurt when I'm running. Mm. I want to put on muscle and I'm not. Do body comps. You know, there's ways to get scales that will show you. We use a particular scale that I really like because we have the, the machine in the office and we could hook it up to people at home. It's made by InBody. We actually have also made a deal with them to sell it so people can, we can look at their muscle and their fat at home and their water. And that will make a difference too because you have concrete data to go by. Yeah, we're big fan, big fans of the in-body scanners. Love those things. All the, all the tools now. And a lot of these, a lot of this technology is now consumer grade. It's not so hideously expensive. We can have them in our homes. Likely there's a gym near you that has an in-body scanner as well. All right. Well, Dr. Comite, I've kept you for a long time and I, I really appreciate you sticking around and sharing all of your knowledge with us. Why don't you, before you tell us how people can connect with you, we didn't really talk about at all about your business. Tell us about your Center for Precision Medicine and Health. Tell us what that is. So the Center for Precision Medicine and Health is about looking at individuals in a bespoke manner. We usually uh, prescribe a CGM even before we meet them. And we actually get blood work. Sometimes we can do it at the center. Sometimes we do it at a local lab. And that's all interpreted. First, at the time, we get the blood work to see how they're living life. And then about a month later, after we connect the dots of all the numbers and how they live life, what I think of as their health portfolio or health story, not just a chief complaint, because that's what conventional medicine, when you're sick, you go to the doctor with a chief complaint, right? And then they come in and we do performance testing. We look at a VO2 max. We do a full exam with some extra bells and whistles because we're also looking at the liver to see if there's fat. We're assessing visceral fat. And we want to put the package all together to then say, this is the path we can put you on. If somebody is interested in going forward after that on what we think of as our annualized program, we actually give them a finely tuned process to start and we watch as we reverse their health. And so we'll have men now and women in their 60s who look like they're in their 40s. One of the lawyers that I take care of for a long time A couple of his younger associates wanted him to run as CEO of his law firm. And he said, guys, I'm aged. They thought he was 40 and he was 65. So people are very happy about that. Sometimes we don't even recognize people when they come in. And then they start on this path with us. Some of the things we do that you'll know even more about than me is like we look at grip. 
We look at balance. We want to make sure that people, even at 80 and 90, can get up from a chair without holding on. And that shows us that they're sustaining their strength, right? Once that happens, we're able to work with them on a path of year to year getting better and stronger and stronger. And it's not a New Year's resolution. It's a process because we've come this far and our bodies declined, even if you're in your 30s. Frankly, some people even in their 20s and some people in their 30s are not as healthy as a 70-year-old. And once they go through that, you know, we have some patients who stay with us a year or two and then try to do it on their own and you'll get some gains. We actually have pretty good success if you go to, have you heard, you've heard of Brian Johnson? Did I mention him? Mm -hmm. He's a venture person who created um, a company called Braintree. I think it was bought by PayPal and now he's doing something called, um, he, he has a website, but he also has his own site where he's, where he reports on how you stay young and reverse biological aging. It's called Rejuvenation Olympics. And the guys we work with work with him. So it's www.rejuvenationolympics.com. We are 25% of the leaderboard. So if you look, we have many more people than anybody else in the world. Most of the others are like a one-off. So we have succeeded in reversing and slowing biological aging, which was not exactly what I set out to do. What I set out to do is aging is a risk. How can we keep people physiologically younger? But I didn't know we could reverse disease and literally stop aging. So take a look at that if you're interested as well. Absolutely love it. All right. And Dr. Kamate, how can people connect with you, learn more about you? Where do you want to send them? So they're on, on social media, on Instagram at Dr. Florence Kamate. Also, you can look at Kamate Center and at Grok Health, G-R-O-Q. H-E-A-L-T, both on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn is my name. I, I don't know that there are other sites or X and, and LinkedIn. So feel free to connect and look at the things we're posting and some of this information. We are going to be next year opening up the virtual app. We have people already in it from companies that are getting information at a much lower cost than the center. The center, by its nature, is bespoke and, and expensive. But I'm hoping to bring Grok Health to everyone. Right now, we're starting with companies who want their you know partners, executives to stay healthy. So we have a law firm and a tech firm out in California. Well, the law firm's all over, but who are beginning to use our app and it's working. And in that, we'll have probably a low price tier, very low where your folks might be interested in uploading their data and they'll get Grok Pearls, my Grok Pearls, which will help them like this podcast, like you're helping people by giving them general ways they can look at what they're doing, but tied into their specific who they are, because we'll ask them to upload and answer a few questions that take 10 or 15 minutes. And it's not fully done yet as far as the marketing piece, but we're hoping to start at a really low price, like even 5 or $10 a month. And then people can opt in at a higher price. For example, if they want to get some biomarkers drawn at home, they want more specific information, hopefully that will help everybody. I love it. I, I love where technology is going in this space. I think that's fantastic. Me too. All right. And folks, I will track all of that information down. I'll put all of that social media website stuff into the show notes. You guys can find that there. 
Dr. Kamate, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing all of your knowledge, your wisdom, and your passion with us. I love the work that you're doing and just encourage you to keep up the great work. Thank you. I should have a call like this every week. So it makes me up for even more. That's right. You too. I think what you're doing is great. And I could tell by the engagement we had that you know a lot of what I've said. And while your focus is on what your expertise is, you're open to all the other aspects of how one can keep their health despite chronological aging. We can stay healthy for the rest of our life, hopefully 120, 140. Amen. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you folks can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 260. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to please give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.